Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits and social enterprises. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannering. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to be bringing in a colleague of mine who I've had the pleasure of working with on several really fun analytic projects. So I'm excited to share her expertise on analytics with you. So Pierre, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Alexandra, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Pierre Bobbies, and I am a, a solution engineer over at Alteryx, which is a, which is a pretty well-known software company that does analytics. I've been there for about two and a half years. I went over there or I came over here from SAP where I was a sales engineer for the SAP predictive analytics set of tools. Um, prior to SAP, I was working at IBM where I supported the SPSS suite of tools in a sales, technical sales kind of a fashion. And then prior to IBM, I worked as a consultant uh, primarily a SaaS programmer for a long time, working primarily within uh, government agencies. I work in the Washington, D.C. area, and you can imagine a lot of what we do here is in public sector and government. So a lot of uh, different predictive analytics and data science and data anal analysis projects have to do with the, with the federal government. And actually, prior to that, um, I worked within marketing analytics for uh, Time Magazine and also for American Express. So my background is primarily in data analysis, predictive modeling, statistics, that kind of thing. And this is why you and I get to have such fun conversations. I love that breadth and depth of experience that, that you bring to this. And, and you and I are both big fans and users of Alteryx in order to do these kinds of predictive analytics. But as you mentioned, there are so many other tools that are available in order to harness really that power of predictive analytics. But before we get very much farther, I would really love to hear your take on, on what do we even mean by the term analytics? Like what, what can be included underneath that very large umbrella? It's true, it is a large umbrella. Um, so analytics to me is generally, it's trying to make better decisions, usually business decisions with the help of data. And it usually starts by asking questions of your organization that can be answered with a little data investigation. Maybe you have a suspicion of something, maybe you're curious about something, maybe there's an issue that you wanna, you wanna address. And so you try, try to figure out how would you answer specific questions and you suspect that there's probably some data out there that you could get access to, to answer those questions. Uh, for example, if you think about uh, an issue perhaps at an organization around people quitting. So at Alteryx, for example, uh, we had a big senior leadership change this year. And so what happened when that occurred, we had a couple of different sales, sales folks leave. They left the company. And so there's an issue around people quitting. The question becomes, okay, well, why are people quitting? Can I figure out why? I'm not gonna just sit around and hope that it stops. I wanna figure out why it's happening. And if I can figure that out with data, then I probably would be able to implement some kind of a program to get people to stay, right? Give them a raise, change their manager, give them a promotion, do something around helping address the problem of why people are quitting. So that's just one example of, of an, an analytic that I would use to, uh, 
to address a business decision I have to make to help my business run better. And I think what you tackled there is so critical. A lot of times we get stuck in data processes, right? So things that we do to massage data, get it into the right shape, get it into the right format, get it to have the right things in it, clean it up, whatever that is. But that doesn't really start to get into analytics until you're looking for some kind of insight. And, and I think the most valuable analytics really are pointed at pressing questions where you say, I have exactly you said, I have this problem and I need to figure out what solution to try that's going to have the highest likelihood of success. So I think that's great. Now, there are lots and lots of different questions then that we can ask of data and those different questions have lots of different ways that we can answer them. So could you walk us through underneath that big broad umbrella of analytics, some of the most common types of analytics that you might do. Yeah, and exactly when it comes to analytics, a lot of the time we're talking about, we're talking about data, right? So one of the first things you probably need to do is what we call descriptive statistics or descriptive analytics, because let's say you have access to data, but you're not quite sure what, what the fields are, if you have, outliers in your data. So that means just kind of like extreme points that are beyond what you're expecting them to be. Sometimes those outliers have to do with user entry error, and you want to make sure that you, you identify those as quickly as possible. But descriptive, as the first type of analytic I'll talk about, um, is really exactly what it suggests. It is describing the data. And the more you understand about the data, the better off you'll be to get into some of the more, I would say, advanced types of analytics, analytics, which I'll talk about in just a second. So descriptive, again, it, it measures essentially two different types of things. Um, in statistics, descriptive statistics uh, usually talks about measures of what we call central tendency. So central tendency, and that's kind of a big word or big, big phrase, but the idea really is around what is the, the average value of a numeric field, right? What is the average age of people who are in your organization? What is the average amount of spend somebody might spend on, on all their transactions for, in their credit cards, for example? Another measure of central tendency is the median. So what is the, the medium value of a numeric field? And then lastly, we have what we call the mode. The mode is the most common value within a, a data variable. So those are measures of central tendency, very important to understand. But you also want to understand what we call the, the variability of the data. So you're talking about the spread. What are the, what are the values, the minimum value, the maximum value? Um, is your data in a bell-shaped curve? You probably want to look at it in a frequency chart. Um, if it's in a bell-shaped curve, however, are there extreme values on both sides of that curve that are really far out, meaning extreme points you have to maybe deal with because they're outliers or they are they're errors perhaps in the data? Is there a side of the bell-shaped curve where the data kind of tends to be? We call that skewness. So there's different kind of things you look at beyond just the average or the most common value of a, of a variable. You also want to look at the min, the max, the range, the variability, that kind of thing. 
So those are descriptive statistics. And the best way you can look at descriptive statistics is by doing those functions, actual calculations, mean, min, max, average, and also looking at, like I said, frequency charts, visualizing the distribution of your numeric fields in descriptive statistics. So that's that's the first type of analytic, the most, I would say, basic, but very important, and often is the first thing I'll look at when I'm given a data set, for example. That's such a great summary of, of descriptive statistics, and I think that it's easy to forget how important getting that lay of the land really is, because understanding the, the underlying data that's going to fuel your future analytics is critical to making sure you interpret your analytics correctly down the road. I remember somebody talking about looking at the average capacity of the London underground system, their subway system, average occupancy was something like 30%. And a guy was sitting there being like, there's no way that's true. Every train I'm always on is completely packed. Like what, what do you mean the average occupancy is 30%? So he looked at the distribution of the data, not just that central tendency, the average, and realized that what happens is you have the rush hour trains at like 99% capacity all the time. And then you have all the rest of the trains running at like 5% capacity. And so you see that the, the central tendency measures, like the average, give you a very different picture than the distribution of your data, like how those numbers spread out across, across all the data points. And so you bring up looking at all of those points, the average, the median, the most common value, um, looking at the range, right? what's your lowest value and your highest value, your percentiles, like how much data fall in each of those different cutoffs. Um, so those are all really great things to bring up. And, and yeah, you really do want to do that before you go any farther. And you may also find that it answers some of your preliminary questions, too. It's not just pointless groundwork. It can actually give you some really great insight and answers. Exactly. And that's, you bring up a great point because you're talking about, we all tend to have a little bit of, I would say, bias. And we often think we know the answer before we start to look at the data analysis piece of it, right? We think we know the answer, we want to confirm it. And you've got to be open to data-driven investigation, which data-driven investigation is a big term right now. Um, I use it myself in my day-to-day -day job. We want to use data to help answer questions, not just assume we know and look for ways to confirm what we thought we knew. So we might start with some descriptive analytics. We'll kind of get a, get a feel for what our data look like. We'll try to get our heads around you know, what this population of data points is going to give us. And we may be able to answer some questions, you know, or basic questions of how many or you know, what proportion of or um, you know, change, you could do change in, over time too in descriptive analytics to some extent. So those sorts of questions could get answered by descriptive. So what would then be another type of analytics that we might move on to after we've done some descriptive analytics? So the next thing I was thinking about was a diagnostic analysis. Mm -hmm. So diagnostic answers the question, um, why does something happen? So if you think about descriptive, you're talking about what is happening, what is the current state of affairs of your data. Diagnostic analysis answers the question of why does something happen or what, why are you seeing a certain, let's say, phenomenon in your data? Um, I use the example. So I used to work in marketing analysis or marketing analytics for American Express. And I think we have all gotten in our mailboxes 
credit card offers that we throw away, right? Oftentimes you take them, you throw them away, don't even look at them. But American Express and all the different credit card companies, catalog companies, they spend a lot of time and effort trying to figure out which offer will you most likely respond to? Not just that you're gonna open that envelope, but which one are you more likely to open? The one that says, you know, 50,000 airline miles if you sign up, or the one that says uh, a free trip for two to Hawaii for seven, seven nights. So which offer are you most likely, or which one is, is more appealing to the general population? So that answers the diagnostic question of, you know, why does somebody open one versus the other? Well, because the, you know, 50,000 bonus miles is more appealing than the other offer, the Hawaii trip. So we used to use something called A-B testing or uh, T-tests. So there are some very specific statistical testing that's done in these experiments within marketing departments as just as, as just an example that answers that question of why something's happening. If you also think about diagnostic analysis, right now we are in the middle of COVID, right? We're having a, a pandemic and there's a lot of work being done at the vaccination at different places where vaccinations are being tested. So when you set up an experiment to test a new vaccination, you usually have a a control group of people who don't get the vaccine and a case group of people who get the vaccine. And you wanna test across those two groups. You know, Is there an, an effectiveness of the vaccine in terms of the infection rate of the disease? And if you see a difference between those two groups, you can attribute it to the vaccine. The vaccine is actually working. It's reducing the infection rate the number of deaths, that kind of thing. So a diagnostic test to compare two different groups is used to assess the, or to answer the question, why is something happening? Well, if the control group is more infectious than the case group, why? Well, because the vaccine is working on the case group. And this is why we sometimes talk about descriptive as more basic and then moving on to more quote unquote advanced ones is that pretty much any piece of software, even humans, we can calculate an average of something, right? You add up all the values, you divide by the total number of values, that's an average. They're very easy to calculate and there aren't a lot of rules, right? Where the data have to be a certain way in order to do that. You can take the average of any numeric field. Now, whether it tells you what you think it's gonna tell you is a separate question, but you can really apply those metrics to anything. When you start getting into diagnostic, in analytics, then you've got to use some more complex methods. Fortunately, there's great tools like Alteryx and SPSS and, and SAS that can do all of those calculations for you. So you don't as a human have to know how to do them manually, but you do need to know how to appropriately apply them and interpret them. And so this is probably the step where people can get themselves in a little bit of trouble. And the idea that, that we have to then be a little bit more careful because we have all these great tools that can do all these really fancy diagnostic tests, but we need to understand like, what is this actually telling us? Exactly. I loved your examples of, of being able to dig into what is driving what we may have seen in our descriptive analytics, right? We may have seen a difference in two groups. The diagnostic analytics is gonna help us identify why, what's driving that difference between them. So you mentioned T-tests are a great example. This is also where like 
fancy things like linear regressions might come in as well if you're trying to, to identify different factors that are are influencing a numeric outcome or very much so i think of that as predictive like predictive analytics that's true which are a little bit different than diagnostic no this is a great point so clarify the difference between predictive and diagnostic so predictive answers the question uh, what is likely to happen in the future so it's a little different uh, than diagnostic in my in my view uh, and it requires historical data to be able to build what we call a predictive model. So if you think back to the marketing example of the credit cards, marketing analysts, they wanna answer the question, you know, if someone's going to respond to this offer versus that offer. And if you, if you think you know which one, then you've diagnosed the question of, you know, why did they go with one way versus the other? That's a diagnostic. Predictive in their world might be, um, who is likely to respond to the offer? that I, I have decided to send out there to my greater population. I wanna figure out who's gonna open that envelope and respond to this offer. And the way you can do that is with a predictive model, like a regression. And there are a lot of different algorithms out there to help you build those models, but they answer very specific questions around what is likely to happen mm -hmm. in the future based on what you know happened in the past looking at that COVID example, you have two different offers or you have two different groups and you're trying to figure out why one group versus the other might be different. And you've set up an experiment where you put into place a vaccine for the control group or I'm sorry, the case group. So you can sort of, if you determine that those two different groups are different from each other in terms of the infectious rate, then you can say, well, I think it's because of the vaccine. I think I understand it's because of the vaccine and you set your experiment up that way to answer that very specific question. When it comes to predicting something um, like who's gonna open up that envelope, there might be different reasons why people open the envelope. Um, and I'd like to talk about another example. So um, think about the example of why somebody might quit. There might be very different reasons why I quit, you quit, another colleague of ours quits, right? It might be because I'm not paid enough. It might be you don't like your manager. The person over here might be because they don't like their commute time. So there's different reasons. And so a model, when you incorporate a lot of different variables into your model, then you can try to figure out likelihood of somebody quitting based on different, different things that you see in the historical data and what they represent in terms of their own data as it relates to the model. And obviously these sort of categories of analytics are convenient ways of thinking about different ways of doing analytics. It's not that there's like an absolute right or wrong of like this is considered descriptive and this is considered whatever. Um, so, but I do think it helps to kind of construct these groups because it makes it easier then to figure out what kind of analytics you might apply in a given situation. And so I do like your idea of like the diagnostic is trying to hone in on a current situation of like why does this thing happen or why is this group different than that group or why is this outcome associated with this thing and then your predictive is that you always are going to then take a second step there may be some diagnostic analysis involved yes. in building a predictive model because you need yes. to understand what happened in the past like why did these things happen or why do we think they might have happened or why is what are the different possibilities of why's if there's different wise across the group, right? Different ones for yeah. you or me or whomever. And then you apply that diagnosis, those diagnostic insights 
into then a future projection. So this is a great step as well as like in the diagnostic, you've got a group, you look at that group, you try to figure out what happened in that group. With the predictive, it means that you're also gonna have a second set of data that you're gonna apply your model to where you don't already know the outcome, right? So in your credit card example, you've got a list of people that you're considering mailing to and you might apply your model based on past mailings, mm-hmm. right? You might apply your model to say, okay, let's mail it to these 10,000 people, but not to those because our model suggests that group's really just not gonna even open it. And we wanna focus then on the group that we think has the higher likelihood of opening it. Exactly, exactly. And again, when it comes back to the business, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, there's a reason why you don't want to mail an offer to everybody because it costs money, right? It costs money to put the the mailing together. There's postage. Um, People get irritated if you keep bothering them with offers that they don't want, right? And they might go to the competition because the competition doesn't bother them as much. So a lot of the things you think about when you build out these predictive models, try to predict who's going to open up that envelope, you have to think about the, the overarching business situation and what you're trying to do and why you're trying to predict versus just kind of doing a blanket mailing in the case of the, of the predictive model in, in the marketing example. That's a really great point. I think it's easy to forget when we talk about data-driven decision-making that yes, you are using the data to help you pick what is the most likely, most likely best outcome or which decision is gonna give you the best Uh, outcome that you want, but you need to have determined beforehand what it is you're trying to achieve. And no amount of analytics can answer that question, right? You have to know, well, are your limitations financial, right? You only have this much budget and therefore you have to decide within your budget. Are your limitations, you know, your your social cred and you want to make sure not to alienate people? Or are your, you know, your other limitations that you've got a finite amount of time in order to grow and therefore you need to like actually spend a lot of money in order to make sure you hit that that growth mark or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's a really great point that you have to ask the question first before you start getting into, okay, what actually is the analysis that I need to do? Yeah, I get so many customers who who come to us and they say, well, we want to do predictive modeling or we want to do the new buzzword is machine learning, right? Or artificial intelligence. We want to do that. It sounds good. We should be doing that, right? And the answer is, well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not yet uh, because you don't have a predictive question yet of your your business. Um, And people are very interested in understanding what it is, why it might be important, but it, like you just said, it's really key to coming up with the right predictive question to ask and then figure out if you have the right data to support the answering of that question. Those are That's a, another great point on the idea that first, like you ask the question that's meaningful for your business. Don't just ask the question because it's the fancy question to ask, right? You ask the meaningful question for your business. And then from that question, you can determine, is this a predictive question? Am I trying to say what will happen? Is it a diagnostic question? Why did this thing happen? Is it a descriptive question of just what's going on? And then once you've determined that, then each of those different analyses is gonna have different data needs. So this is where you will need someone who understands those different approaches to be able to explain, okay, like what is actually the data need for each of these? And then 
And then once you've reviewed those data needs and you could say, yes, I do have those data, only then would you actually do the analysis and try exactly. to use the yeah. results. But it is exactly. true, we kind of like do it backwards. We're like, I have this data, so I'm gonna do this kind of analysis on this data and then I'm gonna get an answer. Exactly. <laughs> and nobody what? asked that question <laughs> or, you know, or, you yes. know. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, they didn't ask that question or then you, you fall into the even worse trap of trying to fit the answer you got exactly. into a question that is valuable, right? You're like, this exactly. wasn't really what you asked, but I'm going to shoehorn it in. Right. I'm going to show you stuff that you may not care about, but hey, look, I did this stuff and I have these answers to questions that nobody asked, but I thought they were interesting. Maybe. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. I think to your point earlier, though, or we were talking earlier about, you know, asking the question of, of your business and seeing if you have the data to support answering that question and trying not to bring with it what you think the outcome is or the bias. So, you know, again, this kind of all comes back to. It's funny because I was telling you about an earlier podcast episode I did on confirmation bias. And this is exactly the problem. It is our human nature to try to confirm the things that we always already believe. Yeah. And, and yes, whenever possible, if you can clear yourself of those preconceived notions, you'll be able to approach the questions that you're going to generate in a, in a better state. And it's very difficult to get to a completely like bias free state. So I always like to offer the alternative, which is ask the questions about what would disprove what you currently think. So if you That's really do point. like you're yeah. really attached to the thing that you think, and we all have those, take the second to say, okay, how could I prove myself wrong? And that sometimes can be the starting place for some of your questions is like, can I prove this thing that I think is true wrong? That is so, that is a great approach to, to guess because we wanna all kind of like raise our awareness um, up a level when it comes to these types of analyses. And I think just to kind of flip it on its head, and think about, well, well, how would I disprove this? Or how, what do I need to disprove my hypothesis? And if you really can't do it, then hey, you know, your your bias was right. Or Right, exactly. You were probably onto something with what right. you thought originally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and that's the other point too, is we're not starting from zero. Right. We know things, we have experience. Many of us have some very deep knowledge and domain expertise in the things that we work on wherever we are in, in different organizations. And so the analytics aren't to show up and be like, I'm gonna finally give you some information. It's to help augment what we already know and maybe identify where we might have a blind spot um, or have misunderstood something based on our own limited experiences. You know, we mentioned that, that you have to have a good question and you determine what kind of analysis you do. And I think you give a lot of great examples of the different kinds of analyses. So hopefully people kind of have an idea of the things that you could ask in those different places. But when it gets down to like having the right data for those, we talk, you can do descriptive analytics on pretty much any data. Yeah. If you want to take an average, it has to be a number. <laughs> you can exactly. use a mode yep. for something that's not a number. But for predictive or diagnostic, what kind of data really are you needing to be able to, to start thinking about using those techniques? Yeah, it's a good question. And sometimes those are the most uh, back and forth dialogues I have with current customers and, and prior customers. The idea is the question that you ask of your data, if it's a predictive question or some kind of diagnostic question, you want to know that within the data you have access, you have access to, the answer is in there. And that could be difficult to figure out if you're not used to looking at data, manipulating data, uh, analyzing data. If, 
you think again about, uh, well, let's think about, let's think about people who are going to respond to, let's say, product offers like the credit cards, right? You have information usually about your current customers and that information like their first name, their last name, their date of birth, their address, their phone number, right? Maybe the date they joined the loyalty program. That information can be um, good to have as far as like a summary of a, of a person and where they live and who they are, but there's no behavioral information in that data set. Usually in any kind of organization that has customer data and is like a sales organization where they, they do transactions, right? They transact, they buy things. Uh, the, co the company will capture what they bought, when they bought it, how much they bought, how much they spent, what number of transactions that they did in a certain time frame. All that transaction data think of it as sort of behavioral data can be really key when it comes to trying to predict if somebody is going to do something next, right? Like, are they going to respond to this offer? I'm giving them a promotion, a coupon, something to get them into the store. Well, how should I target that person? Probably based on behaviors that they have exhibited in the historical data. So if you think about yourself, maybe maybe I as a person like to buy gloves every every winter, right? Around January, I like to buy gloves. And let's say this company is trying to sell hats. Well, maybe to get me into the store, they should offer me a a, a hat, but free pair of gloves with that hat, right? So because my historical behavior shows that I am a consistent shopper at a particular store during a certain time of year of a particular product, I can get, I can, they can get me back into the store based on that kind of behavioral pattern. And so that's a really simple example, but the idea is a lot of that behavioral data when it comes to doing advanced, advanced analysis like predictive modeling is not just in the customer data on the customer descriptive data, it's in the transaction data. And so when you have access to the transactional data, you do have to probably manipulate it a bit to get it to the level that you want to use it in a predictive model. And that means things like, um, if you think about transaction data, usually it, it falls in a table or a, an Excel spreadsheet where every row is a transaction, right? I, as a customer, I come into the store, you know, every two weeks and I transact and I've got, you know, so many different rows that are attributed to, to my behavior. Well, I probably have to kind of aggregate or summarize some of those fields, like what is the total amount I spend? What are the different things that I buy? How often do I do it? So there's different kind of variables I can create from that transactional data that could be really useful when it comes to trying to figure out how to target me for doing specific things in the future. I love that you mentioned that the question you want to ask has to be in, in your data. I think that it's really easy because a lot of predictive analytics feels kind of like black magic to those of us yes. you know, who aren't actually doing them. Just exactly. be like, okay, I have these 15 columns. Wave your wand and just like, tell me what I want to know out of it. Yeah. Push the button. Like, yeah. Give me the result. Like, black oh. magic ball. <laughs> exactly. And so if you want to ask a behavioral question, your data need to contain behavioral actions. And I like calling it transaction data because you can't be an organization without transaction data. 
Otherwise, you're you're I don't know a social club, right? Like Probably you're clearly not, not yeah, doing anything. Right. Like whether if you're a nonprofit, you have transaction data, you yeah, have donations, absolutely. you have volunteer hours, you have projects that you've done. There are transactions occurring between you and the people that you work with. If you're a social enterprise, you have transaction data. If you're a sales organization, you have transaction data. It's just the specifics of that transaction data will be you know unique to your particular organization. Exactly. So and and I I liked what you were saying is that you need to have transactional data about the behavior you're trying to influence. And then it also needs to contain variables that you can influence mm -hmm. or variables that you can recognize and act on. If all you have is information about someone and you can't know that information beforehand, right? You only know it after they've taken the action. Well, that's not going to help you. Right. And, or if you only know factors about them that you can't influence, that's also not going to really help you. So you need right. to be able to have the things that people did in the past, ways of identifying the people that did those things that you can identify when you're projecting forward or yeah. things that you can influence them on, right? Like you can change the price that you offer someone or the amount that you request on a donation. Mm -hmm. So you would want that data in the past. How did they respond to this donation request or how did they respond to this sales price? Yeah. And then you can use that going in your prediction forward. Oftentimes when I talk to customers who, let's say they don't have a lot of data yet, that's, that's okay too, because as long as you're thinking about how to capture the information going forward, you're on the right path. Um, like I said before, a lot of times I used to work in uh, public sector and you can imagine in the federal government, a big, a big thing that almost every agency that pays out money has to deal with is fraud. How do I know that claims that come in to social security or IRS returns are fraudulent, right? But a lot of companies that deal with fraud, they're not necessarily capturing, oh yes, this claim in the past was a fraudulent claim, this one was not. They don't necessarily capture that, but they start, they're starting to, as, as we consult with them, they realize, oh, we do have to kind of note down when things were fraudulent, things were not, so that we can figure out of the fraudulent claims versus the non-fraudulent claims, what was the difference between those two things, right? What, what other variables might we use to predict a fraudulent claim versus a non-fraudulent claim? Well, it's not going to be, well, it's the name of the person and the address that they lived at. It's probably more behavioral things that they, that they did in the past um, that will help you figure out the, the fraud. So just because you don't necessarily have everything right away, if you start to think about what kind of information you should be capturing going forward, you're on the right track. That's a great point that they, by not associating what turned out to be a fraudulent claim with all the information they had about the claims transactions, yeah, that data set isn't useful in order to predict for it. You can understand all the different claims and you could analyze it till, you know, your keyboard dries out, but like, it's not going to tell you in the future, the likelihood that something's going to be fraudulent, because you can't associate all those different characteristics of fraudulent claims and not if you don't know which ones were fraudulent. Or exactly. Not. But it's not the end of the world by asking that question and recognizing that this is a really critical organizational question, and then figuring out the analysis you need to do it, and then therefore the data that would need to answer that analysis, you can then put those things in place to start collecting it moving forward. That's a really great step. So on that point then of being able to make decisions about 
collecting data moving forward and improve your ability to do analysis. What could organizations who are fairly new to analytics do to kind of get themselves started or take a good next step? So I always tell people who um, don't do this day in and day out, get started by playing around with some data. So if you if you have Excel spreadsheets and you're working with some data, start start to play with it. So there, so as an example, within Excel, there is an add-in called data analysis. And if you add that little component into your Excel spreadsheets or your Excel um, executable, um, you'll be able to run descriptive statistics with the click of a button right off the bat. And maybe you're not used to doing that. Maybe you don't want to have to go in and do a function, max function, min function, an average function manually with an Excel, you can do descriptive statistics right away just by using this little add-in. But I like to tell people, don't be afraid to just jump in and get your feet wet and try lots of different things within your data sources that you have access to today. Don't worry about ruining it. You want to save kind of like a master sheet, make sure you don't lose your, your original data, but save a copy and start to play around. That will give you a lot of good experience. The more experience, uh, the better. I would also say there are a lot of really great websites out there. If you're new to data, if you're new to analytics, let's say you don't have access to a lot of data yourselves right now. There are data websites like, uh, there's something called kaggle.com. And Kaggle is a place where a lot of competitions are run to do a lot of very advanced things like predictive modeling, um, optimization scenarios, that kind of thing. But they also have a lot of data. So there's a lot of different data sets on Kaggle that help you do all kinds of things from predictive modeling to uh, you can just look at the data itself and, and run some diagnostics on the data or, or descriptive an analysis on the data. That's one website. There's a second website that I use a lot myself because they are a lot of data sets that are geared towards predictive modeling. And that is called the University of California at Irvine Machine Learning Repository. That's a big set of words right there, but it's a, an educational website based on the University of California. And they have all kinds of data sources you can download and start to just kind of play around with yourself if you wanna get your feet wet with data that's not necessarily your own data. Um, there's also, I think, a couple of different courses you can take that might be uh, easy to access. So we have, there's Coursera. Uh, you do have to pay for that after the trial, but Coursera is one. There's a lot of different machine learning, programming, um, getting started with, with data science and statistics that are on there. Uh, and those are nice if you, if you want to get some certificates out of the learning that you do. That's one way to do it, Coursera. Also, uh, LinkedIn Learning has some courses, but it's also a paid, paid engagement after the trial. And I would also suggest if you're really new to doing analysis, the Khan Academy, which a lot of folks think is just for like high school students, the Khan Academy has a couple of free courses that are around um, statistics. So there's AP stats class there, there's an intro to statistics, I believe, and I think the Khan Academy is still free. So that maybe might be a place where you start just to kind of, like I said, get your feet wet with data analytics, you know, playing around with things that you might not want to do with your company data, for example. And I'm a huge proponent for advancing analytic literacy. 
right? This idea that we can be comfortable with what's going on, whether or not we're going to be the ones actually executing on those analyses, understanding you know, how are these statistics created? What do I need to think about if somebody else makes them for me and I'm looking at them, understanding where they came from will help me be more critical of them if there might be you know, issues in the underlying data or different things like that. So those are great resources to go ahead and learn some of these like base techniques um, even if you might eventually like hire someone to do this or, or outsource it to a consultant or something like that, knowing that I think is really helpful. And then for those of us, you know, the organizations where we can't necessarily afford to hire a full-time person or to, to contract this, arming yourself with some of these skills so you can do some fundamental analytics is really critical. And as we were saying to start with, like even just descriptive analytics, you know, doing an Excel, download the data analysis add-on, you know, it's free, it's yes. part of Excel. Mm -hmm. And then you can start to get that sense of these descriptive analytics and then wrap your head around really what's happening in your data set. And even though it might be basic, you know, quote unquote, it's still very valuable. Absolutely. And I always tell people, um, predictive modeling, advanced analysis, um, it's a little scary, I think, to people who, who don't live it, breathe it day in, day out. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, become somewhat familiar with things. If you are a person who has an interest in data and wants to do more things with data, the best thing you can do is just start to play with data. Um, I always tell people that predictive modeling and predictive analysis and advanced analytics, that can be achieved. You can build models yourself once you become more and more familiar and comfortable with data. If you understand, for example, that you can calculate age from a birth date, you're, that's, that's, that's a good thing to, to know how to do. If a lot of people don't know that, but if you're comfortable with data, creating an age variable um, is, is one of the first things you might need to do for predictive modeling, because let's say you have a birth date, but age is the better variable in a model than the birth date, right? If you can think about you know, how to do if-then statements to, to categorize rows of your data, that's another way to do you know, variable creation of your data. And the more comfortable you are doing those kinds of things, the more applicable or the more ready you'll be to get into the more advanced analytics at some point in, in your career. And to your point, you don't have to know it all to still bring value wherever whatever you learn to start with you can work with that and and have value in that and you can continue to add on to that i used to talk a lot about this analytics curve where you'd have your exploratory data at the lower left hand corner and then you'll get into more descriptive information as you go up this curve then you do some predictive modeling and then at the end you'll do optimization or prescriptive analytics and you and i were talking about um, do you always have to try to get to the, the optimization, the, the very upper right-hand corner of the curve? Absolutely not, I think. No. You can get a lot of value out of just running descriptive statistics on your data. Sometimes that's all you need to answer the question that you're putting to the data. Maybe you need to get to predictive modeling to answer specific types of things. Maybe at the end you want to optimize, you know, maximize your revenue or minimize your you know, time, something like that. Yeah, maybe eventually you'll want to get there, but not every question, not every analytic requires you to get to the you know, upper right-hand corner of that analytic curve. 
it, I think it's easy to fall for the like bigger is better or the more advanced is better. Like the most complex analysis is going to be the best analysis, but that's not at all true. No. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. With me, I really enjoy talking with you every time. I feel like you have such an approachable style when we talk about the things that can be scary for people who are very unfamiliar and uncomfortable sometimes to, to try to wade into. So if people would like to learn more from you or follow you or connect with you, where would you send them? Probably the best thing to be would be through LinkedIn. My email is on there. Um, that's the best way. And you can certainly message me or connect with me. I'm happy to answer any further questions that you might have about uh, my own, you know, experience with data and analytics and where I kind of ended up and how I've gone through my career and this decisions that I've made along the way. You know, happy to continue conversations with anybody who might be of interest. Well, I highly encourage anyone listening who would like to, to reach out because I do know I learn things talking with you as well. So Me too, Alexander. <laughs> I learned from you as well. So <laughs> I appreciate the time you let me join you today. Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.